It seems like the European attitude towards trans ideology seems to be souring, at least in some parts of Europe, and to only a limited extent. And I thought, um, because there's been lots of talk about this, to kind of inject a little bit of, um, I suppose, reasoned scepticism is uh, what I'm hoping to achieve out of this, because um, it's not exactly an outright rejection of it, as I would like to see, but a few small steps in the right direction. And I suppose a victory is a victory nonetheless. So I suppose it's somewhat uplifting, but it's still frustrating that we haven't gone the full distance quite yet. And I also wanted to pay attention as well to how the American media has been reporting on European changes, because there has been a change in tone, actually, in, in a, a quite good direction. So I wanted to focus on an article by Forbes, although there have been others as well. But this is just the most obvious distinction, because, of course, obviously articles are written by individuals, normally contributors. But, of course, they have an editor that selects what articles are written, which ones they approve, and what tone tenor it takes, as well as, you know, lots of other things. And so they're the ones that are shaping the nature of a media outlet. And if they've, they've changed their editorial choices, then the nature of their entire outlet is going to change. Of course, they might get different contributors or ask contributors to write slightly different things because, of course, lots of people I've noticed actually, particularly um, in the sort of online political commentary sphere, just say, oh, The Guardian said this or The, um, the Telegraph said that um, when it's a specific contributor, quite often writing an opinion piece. So sure, they, they've, they've published it, but it's the individual opinion. But when you're looking at an outlet's um, publications sort of in sum and the tone, as well as something that's very anathema to a, a previously established trend, you can start to say something about the outlet itself. So <laughs> with all of that out of the way, let's have a look at some of the uh, Forbes um, gender ideology puff pieces they've written. So here's one, how anti-transgender laws will affect how we do business. And they're basically saying that the, the kind of laws enacted by Ron DeSantis that um, take a, a more European approach to the, the gender stuff in that it's limited to children. Um, out, limited as in the access is limited to children, not we've limited mm. it to children. Um, and yeah, they're trying to make out that somehow this is going to be some sort of massive inconvenience to employers when, of, of course not. It's a very small minority of the population, although it is ever-growing, unfortunately. We've got another one here. Um, six trans entrepreneurs share how anti-trans legislation affects their lives and livelihoods. They were really going quite strong on this back in March. And then here's another one. Transgender gay and the hazy terrain in between. <laughs> and it's also worth mentioning... I'm pretty sure there's a lot of uh, medical intervention between those two states of existence. Yes. I mean, it, I don't think it's even fair to, to lump them together, being... A gay person and transgender are completely miles apart. I mean, a gay man may identify as a man, act like a man, and and for all intents and purposes be a man. Um, whereas the transgender thing, there's a lot more going on there. But um, yes, the, the the final thing I wanted to point out about Forbes is they have an entire diversity, equity, and inclusion section on their website. So I think it's safe to say. They're at least superficially once, on board with progressivism, right? Sorry. Once somebody described Forbes as a right-wing publication to me, all because it's business-focused. Mm -hmm. So um, how many times were they hitting their head against a brick wall? How many crayons did they eat? Did they <sighs> shove, shove pencils up their nose? You know, I think it was while they were doing all of those things at once they told me okay, that. Okay, that's, that's 
quite good multitasking, so they must at least have one or two brain cells. Oh, they were in the process of removing them, don't worry. Understandable. But yes, um, I'm going to take a quick aside here to mention that I have an episode of Contemplations here about Victorian manners and etiquette, and this is part two. And I'm also going to be covering, I think um, it would have released the day before this goes out, because this is pre-recorded, one about Victorian values as well. So I've basically had a Victorian month, unintentionally, um, where I talk all about all the good things about the Victorian age, and I am very sympathetic to sort of 19th century values, at least cherry-picking the, the best ones, mm. right? In that there's a lot to be learned in how to treat people politely and well, and how to be a good person from the Victorians that I think we've forgot. And so if you are interested in that, if you're interested in being a better person, <laughs> make sure to check this out because I can promise you, you will be a better person once you've watched it. <laughs> no money back with guarantees though. Honestly, Josh has been a lot less insufferable since he started doing all of this. That is true, unironically. Been focusing more on being good. Now when I'm around him, I don't have to force the smiles. <laughs> you, do, you do try and punch me sometimes when we go to boxing, so... Well, it's you good know, release, right? Give and take, right? Oh, yeah. I think I did get you in the nose last night. You did, yeah. Yes. <laughs> finally got him back. <laughs> Only slightly. It was, it was okay. But no, we've come a long way. But <laughs> enough about boxing and back onto what we're Say actually like meant to be master talking. master or something. <laughs> <laughs> um, you throw me off. Um, so here we have an article, Increasing number of European nations adopt a more cautious approach to gender-affirming care among minors. So I wanted to dissect the tone of this, as well as actually covering the story it's covering itself as well. Because this is, of course, talking about Europe and how attitudes are changing in our, more towards our direction, but not quite. And this is, um, pay special attention to the language that they use. And in particular, the language is... In the sort of progressive paradigm, they refer to things as gender-affirming care, but they also quite often use quotation marks rather than just taking it, uh, to borrow an American term, wholesale. And they also present the arguments against this sort of thing quite charitably and reasonably, and they actually kind of admit that, that there, maybe there is a point to all of this pushback, which is a long way from a couple of years ago, isn't it? Yeah, so, somebody was bashing their head against the wall and bashed it enough times to... Knock pause, some sense into them. Pause for a moment and say, hold up, is mutilating children's genitals, is that, is that a good thing? Yeah, it's bad in all instances, is my opinion, no mm. matter what the reason. So I'm going to read a little bit from this. Increasingly, European nations are adopting a more cautious approach to gender-affirming care among minors. In March of this year, for example, the Norwegian Healthcare Investigation Board announced it would be revising its current clinical recommendations with respect to gender-affirming care, in quotation marks, um, for minors. The updated um, guidelines would restrict the use of puberty blockers, cross-sex hormones, and uh, transition-related surgery to clinical research settings. So it's just purely for experimentation. I mean... I would say that you don't need to experiment with this to know that it's bad. I mean, you don't need to do any research to know that, yes, treating a something that is psychological with physical surgery seems to be counterproductive. I don't want another study to come out the other end of these clinical research settings where annoying leftists on Twitter can point to it and go, well, the study says it's fine, the study said it's okay. Well, the, the nature of the research, I have did a bit of reading to research this segment, um, although I'm obviously familiar with it to a certain extent, but I kind of looked at the new stuff because, of course, they're publishing new stuff all the time. Mm. And the, the quality of the supposed supporting evidence is appalling. 
like absolutely um, crayon eating research methodology, just like yes. Um, for example, um, you know the, the Dutch study that gets referenced very that informs with the Dutch study. that informs European practices. Did you know that to to find out whether people um, who had undergone transitioning had um, you know resolved their psychological problems, so to speak, in the you know the discomfort, anxiety, depression, this sort of thing. Um, if they were a biological man, they had a biological male one before beforehand, right? They had the male questionnaire that was centered around male concerns. And then when they had transitioned, they had a, a female-centered one. And it would ask some questions like, are your menstruations giving you any discomfort? <laughs> well, of course they're not. I mean, I mean, if if we're evaluating discomfort by those standards, well, they literally can't do that, right? They they are they don't have the biological makeup to have that discomfort. I think even more fundamentally than that, which is an absolutely ridiculous way of measuring the well-being uh, and the also self-report. There's there is such a thing as like a a doubling down effect of if someone does something that alters their life forever. The tendency is that they're going to justify it because the the, the notion that they made a mistake and did something wrong would be destructive. It and would it, be and psychologically it distressing. And I, I feel very sorry for those people. Like genuinely, I, I you know I I'm very annoyed at people pushing the ideology on people. But that doesn't mean I don't feel very sorry for the people who go through this and regret it. That must be truly terrible. Well. Um, I agree with everything that you just said, but once again, uh, obviously those are, those are problems switching the actual mm -hmm. forms that they were writing or uh, they were responding to and uh, going off purely self-report. I think also the very fact that the only thing that they were really measuring the success rate on was the self-reported psychological effects, yes. whereas they'd had no study into the potential negative physiological effects of mm -hmm. taking these hormones, how sustainable it would be. I mean... I didn't click on it yesterday, but there was a. I, I follow a Twitter account called Males in Disguise, uh, amusing title. <laughs> I wonder what that's about. Um, which put up an image yesterday, which thankfully was censored, which said, another example of a failed neo vagina. And I thought, do I want to click on this? Ugh. No, no, I don't. But I don't want to imagine what it showed because I think my imagination is heinous enough. I don't need to confirm it. But I think, uh, every man in the audience just crossed his legs in discomfort. Yeah. Just because the self-reported psychological effects are positive does not mean it will not have completely destructive physiological effects that will affect mm -hmm. you for the rest of your entire life. I mean, when the surfs appeared on Timcast recently and they had the big debate and the, oh, it's the, subject, so frustrating. the subject of Jazz Jennings came up and the whole aspect of what he has to do down there to prevent what is literally an open wound from closing in on itself using I think a dilator is revolting and disgusting and should obviously be taken into oh. account in any studies but they will purely go off of the psychological self-reported effects of it where the people go well i said i wanted to be a woman and now i feel like i'm a woman so therefore i feel much better yeah but you're gonna have a lot of other problems i'll tell you how i feel sick it's, hearing about it it's revolting i even you, know about it you Just... chose to do the segment on trans stuff so I know. sadly this is part and parcel i know this is this is what I, I did when I agreed to be a psychologist, I suppose. So, 
It carries on to say the updated guidelines would restrict the use of puberty blockers, cross-sex hormones, and transition-related surgery to clinical research settings. I think I read that bit. But Norway joins other European nations such as Finland, Sweden, and the UK. Look at that, Sweden. <laughs> the glorious Islamic caliphate of Sweden actually doing something good. I suppose it's all the Islam, isn't it? Um, they're not big fans of this. Um, in introducing limits on provisions of gender-affirming care to minors, in the US, a partisan divide is shaping up between the states that allows for and guarantees access to youth gender-affirming care and the states that ban or severely restrict gender-affirming care for minors. There doesn't appear to be much middle ground. Thus, um, thus far this year, sorry, 12 states have either banned or severely limited gender-affirming care. We're not focusing on the United States, though, but they're basically saying that, yes, it's very polarised. Some states are banning it. Some states are enshrining it in law. Um, not only enshrining it in law, but consider, but mm -hmm. uh, I think having it put into law that they're sanctuary states. So yes. children who say, I'm a girl now, and uh, dad goes, no, you're not. You're a boy. Put that lipstick away. Stop wearing your mother's underwear. That's disgusting. <laughs> Um, and they go, no, screw you, Dad. I'm going to run away. And they run away. And there are some states, probably Oregon, places with you know California, places with places Washington, like yeah. Portland, um, the LA, coasts, basically the, the, the coasts, except saying, the South, are saying that's right. We'll accept you. Well, you you can come in. We'll we'll look after you. Which is, I mean, I know the the OK Groomer thing is a meme, and it's not been done to, it's been done to death and people don't do it as much but the entire state declaring itself that's right we are a groomer state this is what we support we will indoctrinate your children and then accept them when they decide to run away which can only have positive results i'm I mean, sure it, it was literally a policy in the soviet union that children like rat out their parents or flee their parents to to become children of the Soviets, and that's, that's basically what's going on now. I think one child was actually considered, like, to basically turned into a state hero because he ratted out his parents for anti-Soviet thought crimes. Pavlik Morozov, yeah. Oh, you know the name of him as well. I've, I've yeah, played. I'm a massive Soviet history nerd, yeah. Oh, that's all right then. Yeah, I know it all inside out. But, um, yes, it carries on to say, the US talk... Um, Talk of introducing guardrails is sometimes met with being branded transphobic or a science denier. The irony of that last one as well, because <laughs> the science is not on your side on this. You they weirdos. will change the science. These they new will, research yeah. clinical settings. That's what I'm. That's what I'm annoyed about. The serfs will have more terrible studies to point at uncritically. Mm -hmm. The annoying thing is most people don't understand how to read research either. It's just like, there's one study that says the thing I agree with. And I was like, yeah, one study I is like... I read the like, abstract and it said it, it said it's on my side, therefore. But yeah, one study means nothing. In You've got to have loads and loads of studies to mitigate the individual research biases that researchers bring to the table. But then even if you go with a meta-study, a meta-analysis of the it's studies, you've got to take into account... by researchers. You've got to take into account the bias of the person who conducted mm -hmm. the meta-analysis. But there, there actually are some really good um, meta-analyses out there on controversial topics that do a good job of just trying to represent it honestly. So I know people are just like, oh, science is terrible, oh, this and that. But, you know, there, there is good stuff going on out there. This is I'm not saying it as some sort of cope or because I am a scientist myself. I'm somewhat of a scientist myself. No, I'm not <laughs> trying to quote the Green Goblin. Um, but just to say, well, it's not all bad. He suspicious green gas every now and again. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> but um, it goes on to say, but caution with respect to gender-affirming care for minors may be warranted as European experience indicates. This is an American mainstream outlet saying that restricting this care might actually be a good idea. I know, pinch yourself. I'm, you're not dreaming. This is actually going on. 
And uh, it says a series of European-based systematic reviews of evidence for the benefits and risk of puberty blockers and cross-sex hormones have shown a low certainty of benefits, which is a very charitable way of saying, yeah, they're not good. Um, Specifically, longitudinal data collected and analysed by public health authorities in Finland, Sweden and the Netherlands and England have concluded that the risk-benefit ratio of youth-gender transition ranges from unknown to unfavourable. Well, I mean, this is actually put in quite good terms, actually, mm. isn't it? I mean, that is a good representation of the data as I understand it. So it says, as a result, across Europe, there has been a gradual shift from care which prioritises access to pharmaceuticals and surgical interventions to a less medicalised and more conservative, that's conservative with a small c, so cautious, they mean, rather than politically conservative, approach that addresses um, possible psychiatric comorbidities and explores the developmental etiology of trans identity. Bless you. I'm so terribly sorry. It's, it's hot in Britain, which is a rare thing, and Harry's there's, allergic to it. There's a lot the, the of pollen. There's a is. lot of pollen in the air this morning, and I'm just uh, suffering terribly from Pollen's it. Pollen's in the air. Sorry. Um, in turn... This has brought about the imposition of restrictions in Europe on access to hormones. Currently, minors in the most European countries, in most European countries, sorry, not the most European, um, can access puberty blockers and cross-sex hormones, but only if they meet stringent eligibi eligibility conditions. Apparently, I can't read. That's the, <laughs> I'm going to blame the pollen for that. Um, and this is increasingly done in the context of a tightly controlled research setting. So yes, we're a lot stricter than the United States. And I'm going to be talking about this a little bit later, but the gist of it is that the United States, um, someone comes to a, a clinic and the, the clinician is just an enabler, whereas in Europe, we take the, the view that, you know, the, the practitioner, the actual so-called expert, takes primacy. They're the one controlling things. And therefore, there's a lot more skepticism to the intentions because, of course, um, you may be held legally liable for it, which does go on if you suggest it and so it's a risky th a thing that i think practitioners of, of medicine over here and psychologists are perhaps more understanding of than in the united states where it seems like the legislative situation is far kinder to enablers of these things than they are over here there is a reason that england is called turf island there is yes and have you seen recently there was a map that somebody put together where uh, it was the it was the global map and if you saw a light dot on it, then that was uh, where transphobic tweets or transphobic tags had become popular and mm -hmm. shared about by people. And uh, they said, notice how England, <laughs> how the UK is just a big neon dot. The whole place was lit up in comparison to everybody uh, everywhere England else. England number one. <laughs> yes. I actually did a segment called Turf Island number one quite a while ago. I think I was sitting in one with you. You were, yeah. It's funny how that happens, isn't it? So it, it carries on to say, where were we? Um, Many European countries do not allow the use of cross-sex hormones until the age of 16, and only after completing a number of psychotherapy sessions. In addition, the vast majority of European countries ban surgery until the age of 16, which I think it should be at least higher, if not banned entirely, because I don't think there's any purpose in it. But then also... I think that if, if adults want to, to make stupid decisions, they should be allowed to face the consequences of said decision without being stopped. So, eh, there's... <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I was looking for the map. That's all right. I, wasn't, <laughs> I, d I didn't entirely pay attention. <laughs> 
Hopefully you, the, you at home were paying attention the, the to me. The pollen's gone to my head. <laughs> From puberty blockers to cross-sex hormones to surgery, the rules across Europe tend to be either stricter than many jurisdictions in the US or in the process of tightening. For example, Sweden's National Board of Health and Welfare states um, children should not receive puberty blockers outside of clinical trials and they must be at least 12. That's not exactly <laughs> particularly conservative with a capital C, is it? Um, 12. I mean, that's still going to have a very destructive effect on their development. I mean, it affects all sorts of things from skeletal structure to Brain neurological development. development, yes. So it's still not Even good. Even just social development, seeing all of the rest of your friends mm -hmm. go through puberty while you're stuck not going through puberty if you're on these blockers. That, yes. That will obviously have a psychological effect. It's, it's not good, and I don't think they should be used at all, certainly not on children. Um, well, I suppose it's redundant if you use them on adults as well. So they shouldn't be used at all. In England, among the reasons for shutting down the Tavistock's Gender and Identity Development Service in 2022, physicians reported concerns that some patients were referred to gender transitioning pathways too quickly. Hilary Cass, who led an independent review of gender identity services for children and young people, said that there was insufficient evidence for her to give any firm advice regarding the routine use of puberty blockers. She has told the National Health Service to enrol young people being considered for hormone treatment into formal research protocol. So they're basically trying to say, we need more evidence. I think that if they look at the evidence, they're going to be like, okay, this is horrifying. And I mean, it shouldn't have to come to looking at the evidence at all. I think we have enough to dismiss it. I, f I found the map and I'm sending mm -hmm. it to John. John, I've sent you the map if you want to put that up on screen. What was this map again? It was, the, it was the map of transphobic engagement. Okay, yes, I'm, I'm quite keen to see this. And of course, transphobic engagement meant hashtags including things like um, let women speak and oh, such. Oh, look at that, that glowing beacon of sanity in the world. <laughs> My goodness. <laughs> what is this? I feel a bit of national pride for once. <laughs> Turf Island number one. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, the Turfs are still feminists and still my political enemies, but still, it, 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 it's a small thing. It's a small victory. We've got to take what we can get it's these just, days. It's just quite funny. It is, yeah. So it carries on. I've only got a little bit left to read, and then we're going to break it down a bit more. In Finland, gender experts have expressed concerns that some patients who've been prescribed drug treatments didn't meet the strict eligibility requirements detailed in the so-called Dutch Protocol in the 1990s. The Dutch gender specialist began laying the foundations for gender-affirming healthcare for minors, described as careful and cautious approach. It was devised by clinicians and documented meticulously from the late 90s through to 2012. Clinicians in other European countries also observed that guidelines were not being strictly followed, effectively um, allowing for what could be deemed as unauthorised treatment of many more minors, especially girls, than was envisaged by the Dutch, Dutch experts who devised the original protocol. Um, I think this is something that informed EU law as well. And so there's some sort of leg legislative enforcement mm. of this sort of Dutch protocol as the bare minimum thing you need to do. You can just uh, ban it outright, and I don't think the EU would necessarily intervene here. I don't think... Um, they're as strong a gender ideologues as they are strong socialist ideologues in that that's more what they're pushing for, sort of more traditional Marxism rather than this intersectional, um, more American university-based um, form of progressivism, I suppose you could say. Because I'm not going to blame all of America, but um, certain Democrat cities with universities seem to be the progenitors of this sort of thing. And it says, it ends with, ultimately, this gave rise to health authorities in Finland, Sweden, and the UK conducting systematic reviews of evidence for the benefits and risks of hormonal, hormonal interventions. Subsequent 
findings of these reviews suggested that the studies cited in support of hormonal interventions for adolescents are of very low certainty. In turn, this led to placements of severe restrictions on access to hormones. It also advances the notion that such interventions are still in an experimental phase. Well, they're, they're saying that more experimentation is needed, so of course they are. Um, so yes, it seems like Europe is at least starting to push back to some extent, not nearly far enough for my taste, but there also have been other mainstream outlets, um, particularly some insufferable ones like The Atlantic, which I hate. <laughs> um, a teen gender care debate is spreading across Europe where they talk about the same sort of thing and actually present the evidence that we've been talking about for years at this point. And uh, yes, it seems like this is actually bleeding over to America. So seems like Europe might actually have a positive effect in injecting some sanity into your conversation. So you're welcome, I suppose. Um, there's also here the Washington Examiner, which is not a progressive outlet and publishes some good stuff, also talking about it as well, but it's fair to call them mainstream. But yes, it seems to be that Europe is affecting American discourse rather than it being the other way around for once. And we're actually, you know, seemingly pushing things slightly in the right direction. I think it could also be put down to the effect of people like Ron DeSantis pushing back mm -hmm. against this as well. Yes. And a lot of mm -hmm. um, people, I have my disagreements with him, but people like James Lindsay um, and other people on Twitter going around exposing what's going on. Libs of TikTok especially mm -hmm. has been very, very good at pushing back on this and been very good at exposing what's going on behind the ideology to a lot of people, especially with her exposure on shows like Tucker Carlson when he yes. was still on Fox. I think there are a lot of, I don't want to put it all down to Europe the same way that we don't want to blame all of the problems to America. Of course there, there is, is a lot of domestic, mm -hmm. uh, domestic pushback that's mm -hmm. come from within America as well. But I, I think in part, DeSantis has modelled his approach to restrictions on the pre-existing ones in Europe, right? And that's that's good for, for multiple reasons. One, tried and tested, and obviously we know it's a good thing in and of itself to restrict this and should go further. But also he can say from a political point of view, well, I'm not not literally genociding trans kids as some trans activists say. They're doing this in Europe. So, you know, what are you on about? No one no one's saying it there. Even even the activists kind of have an understanding of why it's being done. It's not a deliberate sort of attack on your existence. It's that we have concerns about this because it doesn't seem reasonable or safe. I disagree that the activists have a firm grasp on why it's done. I mean, not they a firm grasp, and not all of them, but some of them, and certainly more so than some of the the United States ones, right? Perhaps. But um, I, I, I mean, I disagree. To be perfectly honest okay. with that, I, I think that these activists, if they don't have, if, if they do have a grasp on it, then they, they at least have a mm -hmm. vested interest in acting as though they don't and saying that no, by denying this, you are committing mm -hmm. a form of genocide. But anyway, I've, I've just seen some trans people saying, "Okay, I kind of get it now." That's I've seen a, a sort of increase in that. Well, uh, obviously, I, I must have they might, that. yeah, obviously. Um, it's the vocal annoying ones that are just like any sort of restriction whatsoever is literally killing me. I hate that. That's annoying. Also, and it's uh, also everywhere. On your point from earlier that the artic uh, articles themselves are written by individual people and not the outlet themselves, and the mm -hmm. outlet just published them. I've just noticed this one's written by Deborah. So I was going to point that out actually. Yes, yeah, but I've on. got her book, The End of Gender, which I actually need to read. She's a sexologist who's done a lot of research into this and mm -hmm. uh, does push back a lot against. Yeah, her work's ideology. Great. So um, I'm looking forward to getting around mm -hmm. to read that eventually. So um, 
the, the same article here is in the body of text, um, was published in a different outlet. Um, this next one, this is the same article by Dr. Deborah So. It starts the same way, but I think in sort of editing, the editor chose to change the title to something that is misleading, basically. The previous one was a good representation mm. that it's being, people are pushing back somewhat, but it's got a long way to go. This one says, Norway advises against child sex changes, joins Finland, Sweden, and the UK in rejecting gender ideology. I don't think that that's really what's going on here. I think that the, edit, the editor here, who may well have changed the title, has misrepresented the, the situation. It's not been rejected, it's just a softer version of it. Mm. If they rejected it, I'd be chuffed, but no, that's um, not what's going on. And uh, I don't want to give people um, false hope, uh, <laughs> but th th there's some hope here at least. It's not an entirely depressing bit of news for once. So um, this, I finally wanted to draw attention to um, this article here and the, the great work, I believe this is uh, an academic, uh, Lior Sapir, I think, I don't know how to pronounce their name, but they did a really good job in summarizing the general debate as well as pointing to some of the evidence. And um, I, I wanted to point out that the saying, um, he's correcting the notion that um, trans people in the United States are saying, oh, not a single country in Europe has banned gender-affirming care for trans youth. And in some senses, they are actually right, but it's also far more restricted. And they go through and break down. He is right that we're not going nearly far enough. Mm -hmm. But he, go he goes through and breaks down all of the evidence in a very good way. And because he's an academic, he's he's got good citations and stuff. So if you want to know the distinction between the Europe and the US and explaining it, um, this is probably a good thing to check out. We're not in any way affiliated. I just thought he did a good job. And uh, when I see people doing good, good things, I like to give them the credit they deserve. And um, yes, um, if you're interested in learning a little bit more about that, make sure to check that out. And they also did a good article talking, breaking down the, um, if you move on to the next one, John, this one here, reason and compassion on gender medicine. And they're talking about the people testifying in Florida in favor of transitioning and the actual medical community's reaction to it was very skeptical and this sort of inside breakdown of both the arguments of the advocates of gender ideology and the actual medical world and the distinction between the two is actually very good and because it's quite insightful and broken down in a way where it's weighing up the evidence and the arguments um, is quite impressive really and this is from November of 2022 but these are good places to, uh, to, to read up on and I wouldn't have the time to go through them all because you know it's already quite long as is and so I just wanted to draw attention to them because they go into greater detail. But I do actually intend at some point in the future going through the published uh, scientific literature on trans studies and breaking it down because I actually specialised in research methodology and statistics and things like that. And so that's my bread and butter. And so I think I'd be quite well suited to breaking it down in a way that would make sense and, and why these studies are flawed and why... Some things can be taken um, for granted, some things can't, and that sort of thing. But it's going to be a lot of work. So it might not be necessarily soon, but I, and I intend to do so. And I haven't really seen it done to such an extent, like a, a proper literature review, but in sort of video form. Most academics tend to publish a paper rather than do a video explaining it to normal people that aren't academics. And I think that there's a, a great benefit in that. So I am going to be doing that at some point. And uh, hopefully you uh, are still around to watch it. But um, one to watch out for. Mm. But yes, um, there there is some pushback in in Europe, 
to a limited extent. It's not quite far enough. And hopefully it's going to have a positive effect elsewhere as well. And I think it's also worth mentioning as well, a lot of these countries that I mentioned are Western European. I know there was also a mention of France and the Netherlands potentially pushing back as well. And I think these are countries that are more in the sort of American sphere of influence and therefore it's more pervasive. And obviously, you know, gender ideology, ideology not re representative of America as a whole. So I'm not, you know, tarring you with that brush, you know, it is un-American in my opinion. Lots of Eastern European countries haven't done these things simply because it's not present. You know, they don't have a reason to do it because it doesn't exist. And so the, the countries in Europe that are pushing back as well, it's also worth mentioning, are the ones that have had this infiltrate their countries to a certain extent. I mean, you even had Macron saying, we need to resist American imperialism in, in the sense of, yeah, we're getting all these silly ideas from progressives in France and it's un-French and we shouldn't have it. And he's seen as a moderate. And... Uh, Obviously, yeah, I don't approve of him, but there is lots of, of pushback against it, which is a promising thing. Hopefully, it's a sign of a tide turning, although I wouldn't hold your breath because I'm sure the, uh, the gender advocates have a few cards up their sleeve to pull yet. If you appreciated that segment from the podcast The Lotus Eaters, you can go to lotuseaters.com to get access to all the premium content that's on the site, such as the Contemplation series, this episode on Victorian manners and etiquette. If you'd like to find out what else is being put out, you can follow on Getter at lotuseaters underscore com on Getter. Thank you and goodbye. <laughs>